Amen. So um, we uh, had finished the uh, chapter 2, uh, where we saw the church growing. Uh, Acts 2.42, earmark verse, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Uh, the, the way that they were growing was not through the church growth movement. And it wasn't through, you know, powerful, uh, you know, rock show, music, lights, you know, smoke, mirrors. It, it was the simplicity of God's word, fellowship, prayer, breaking of bread, going house to house, that the church was uh, being built and, and being strengthened. And then you come to chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, I don't know why um, there's argument about what is the ninth hour, but there is argument about that. The time of prayer happened three times daily, at 9 a.m., noon, and then 3 p.m. Uh, it's probably 3 p.m., uh, you know, most likely that's how the ninth hour is described. Uh, but for all of the skeptics, the thing that really tells us it states, um, you know, the uh, ninth hour here, it helps explain if you just flip over to the next chapter, 4, verse 3, as they're arresting uh, Peter and John, they laid hands on them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So, so if they went up uh, at the evening time of prayer and all of these events transpire and they've sort of run out of time, sun has set, they put them in prison because no one's going to do business uh, in the evening hours. They have to wait until uh, the next day. It's also, just for you note takers, uh, interesting that the ninth hour is probably when they went up um, it, it may have had to do with that was the hour that Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished. So it, it may have been um, in the hearts of Peter and John that this is the hour where things are completed and, uh, you know, in remembrance of the Lord's work. You can see that in John chapter 19, verse 30. So uh, continuing in Acts 3, verse 2, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple because uh, which is called beautiful to take alms from those who entered the temple now this lame that we're going to talk about is a complete inability to walk that is supported by the idea of he's carried there every day so whatever lameness we're describing, and there are many different opinions about what we're talking about here, it was completely debilitating. He, he didn't have motor function of his own. He might have had some mobility, but it, it isn't, he doesn't have the ability to walk. He doesn't have the ability to carry himself place to place. So he's being delivered here uh, to beg for uh, alms as people enter the temple. Uh, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on them with John, Peter said, look at us. So this is the sort of thing 
that um, the lame man and the way it's written here, Peter and John recognize there's a connection. It's, it's one of those moments where you can just tell the Lord is doing something. And, and they immediately respond uh, to uh, that moment. Um, had an occasion uh, down on Kensington Ave in Philadelphia. We took, uh, what a crazy place, took a whole bunch of teens uh, from this uh, church and did a short-term missions trip down in New Jersey in Philadelphia Took them down onto Kensington Ave. Some some have been there and know all about the place. Uh, for instance, um, uh, when we met the people who have their ministry right there on Kensington Ave, and they're going to show us around to a few places they do ministry. There's a fairly large group of us, the teens, my wife, myself. Uh, the the guide stops us all and says to my wife, "Are those sandals?" Seriously, the only thing that you have to wear down here, you know, you don't have any other shoes with you in the car or anything. And unfortunately, she had to say no. You know, we, we left all of that luggage back at um, Val and Gary's house uh, in uh, New Jersey. And uh, he said, OK, fine. But um, when we walk, OK, I, I need all of us to be looking at the ground. We'll stop and I'll show you things. But when we move, because she's in sandals, we all have to be looking at the ground because there are hypodermic needles everywhere, all over the ground. Uh, and they are literally where junkies have shot up, pulled the needle out, dropped it right there on the ground. Many of them are extremely sick. If you got poked by one of those, you have the potential to have a life threatening illness that's how bad it is uh, it was it was the stuff out of post-apocalyptic science fiction movies you know 10 12 individuals who have just shot up on almost every street corner where there is a convenience store they're standing at the entrance with their heads hunched down and their arms hanging often phlegm running out of their mouths and they're just barely standing and staggering. They look like zombies. There's clusters of zombies all over the place. So um, we're in um, uh, Anna Wong's uh, uh, food kitchen, and we're uh, helping people get the gospel. I shared a brief message and prayed, and we're handing out food, and then we're having conversations with people about where they're at. And this other guy, Gary, that I'm with, and Barrett Prue uh, and I, this man looks up from the table, and he he looks like he's about to die. He, I'm like, 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 you're looking at him, it's like, this man is going to die in just a moment. And we all three just converged upon him, and we began to plead with him. And he tells us that... Three months ago, he was 180 pounds. And he looks like he came from Auschwitz. He's a skeleton sitting here in front of us. And he's telling us, he's got a plate of food. He's telling us he's had a few grains of rice. He can't eat much uh, anymore. 
than what he's already taken in because he's so high and he's going to go get high as soon as he gets done here. And we plead with him that he would let us take him to a detox center and then put him into a discipleship program. And 25 minutes later, he gives in, gets in the van, and goes to the detox center. It was, it was that moment where the few of us look up, and he makes eye contact with us, and it's like looking at a drowning man. He, he just has that desperation, like, could you help me, please? And we just converge on him, and we sit down, and we just pour over the scripture and his life and where he's at and the desperate need he has to get sober into the detox and out of the detox days later he comes into a discipleship program i haven't been able to keep track of him since then but the point is this there are moments where you recognize what the lord is doing and it's important that we're bold enough to respond that we open our mouths we say the things we reach out to somebody you know you see that person that's on the verge of tears you don't know at all just say something like you look heartbroken you know what I'm saying usually they'll collapse on you spiritually maybe even physically and you get to minister to people wonderful experiences these men are in this moment and they recognize the lord is doing something right here fixing his eyes on him with john peter said look at us so he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I, I would encourage you to underline in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It becomes more significant as we move along here. I mean, it, it's an obvious thing, but there, there's some debate that happens in the, in the text shortly that's significant. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, um, I want to uh, point out to you that there are many occasions... In Jesus' ministry, where it talks about those that Jesus has healed, and it specifically says that uh, they are lame and halt, crippled and maimed. Okay, the, the term maimed is most significant in this discussion because it's literally talking about missing limbs and missing digits and Jesus restores them okay so this isn't just you know you creak up in your wheelchair and Jesus yanks you up out of the wheelchair and sends you on your way this is literally people showing up without arms and leaving with arms showing up without legs and leaving with legs fingers eyes ears showing up maimed and they're leaving unmaimed. Okay, Jesus Christ's capabilities so far exceed uh, what the fakes 
are doing in televangelism and, and even what m humanity is capable of doing through science. Uh, there, there are wonderful uh, godly people, even ungodly people, wonderful ungodly people who have uh, you know, studied the wisdom of medicine and can do, uh, you know, seemingly miraculous, wonderful things to restore health. And I'm very grateful for all of them. But comparing what we can do to what Christ can do is doesn't even come close. Okay, you know, the Lord restores things that are impossible to restore, and I want to get specific in this regard because if i often use the issue of eyesight um, there are many uh, conditions with vision that create total blindness that medicine can completely heal uh, we have uh, teams of doctors in christianity that travel the world and take care of cataracts where in other countries you, you're blind at the end of discussion, you've lost your vision. Uh, but they do simple procedures and restore vision uh, to these people. There are those born blind, never have had vision, you know, more in-depth corrective surgeries, fix things that now they can see. The problem with that is, not to go on a long scientific stroll here, but um, seeing occurs in the mind, Okay. Uh, your eyeball is actually part of your brain. As you develop in the womb, the eyeball and the brain develop simultaneously together. And what comes in through the lens and lands on the retina upside down, uh, transferred chemically into an electrical signal conducted into the brain, where the brain then corrects it, flips it over, because the convex lens has, uh, uh, you know, projected it onto your retina upside down, the vision occurs in your mind, right? You, you see in your mind, not with your eye. Your eye is the apparatus that collects the information that's conducted to the mind. The mind is what sees. When we fix the problem, optic nerve, lens, cornea, retina, and now people who've never had vision can see, they have to start out slow. Yeah, you know, an hour a day, dimly lit locations, work their way up through. Why? Because the, the whole experience of the brain processing all that information is actually very powerful and very painful. Uh, you know, massive migraine headaches. Some of them have to wear shaded glasses the rest of their lives uh, because the brain, the signal, not having had it, now they're getting it, is too powerful. They didn't develop in their youth the, the ability to process all this information. That's very inferior to what Jesus does, isn't it? People who've never seen, he just walks up, touches them, and bing, they're healed. Be on your way. They can, they can see and they can function with vision. They don't have any problems whatsoever. That, that's, that's an amazing miracle to take someone like that. You know, now go to a more practical discussion for us, you know. There are those that want to say, well, hey, slow down. You've got to take 12 steps to get sober. No. Not according to Christ. No. Right? He who the Son has set free is free indeed. Behold, I make all things new. We're a new creation. You know, people that just turn around.
and are delivered by Christ. Christ's healing is far superior to man's healing, is my point here. This, this man is experiencing something that, you know, medically is beyond. He, his legs are destroyed, undeveloped, ruined. And here Peter just says, snap, let's go. You know, right to your feet, buddy. Today's the day you walk. He doesn't have to go through therapy. He doesn't have to go through all of these extensive processes. He is instantaneously healed and made whole. Uh, consider what the Lord might be saying to you. Because very often we take a very human approach to Christ's deliverance. You know, I got to do this and I got to do that. And I got to wean myself off this. And I got to you know, develop that. And I got to, maybe not. Maybe you just need to chuck the crutches. And, you know, get up. Right? Start walking. Start Leaning, you know, on Jesus Christ rather than all those other things that we lean and reply upon. Here we see this man. He's just immediately his ankle bones receive strength. So he leaped up, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. I would think you absolutely would. You know, you, you've been alive for 40 years been completely debilitated in every way and suddenly you experience christ's healing in the moment it's a great joy that uh, is in that moment you know i wonder you guys if you think he ever woke up fearful like you know you just kind of come too slowly and think oh man i hope i can walk <laughs> you know <laughs> two days later five ten day two years later you know, you know, maybe he got sick somewhere along the way and was thinking, oh, this is it. I'm going to be in paralysis again. You know, have we not failed? Have we not stumbled? Have we not turned around and said, oh, I don't think. Yes, Christ raised me up, but now I've fallen. Get up. Just get up. Go and do the things you're supposed to do. You know, this, this is, you know, one of my big qualms. The, the scripture says, uh, you know, that though a righteous man fall seven times, he will rise again, right? I, I, I see, um, you know, within AA, I spent years there, and uh, there, you know, you show up, you've fallen, you're a mess, and you say, you know, your your 10-year coin is like, you know, in a river somewhere, you know, because <laughs> you, you were sober, but you, you know, got bombed. And so you just, you lost all of that progress. And so now you're back in the meeting saying, you know, I, I'm Will, I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. I've been sober for 24 hours. You know, everybody applauds you and you get that stupid white chip again, you know, <laughs> and you're back to ground zero. Our Lord doesn't work that way. You were 10 years sober, and you screwed up bad, bad. But then, homilageo, right? You confessed. You said the same thing he said. That's what confession means. You say the same thing the scripture says. You say the same thing the Lord says, right? Because we do all kinds of social justifications, right? 
Of course I got bombed. Because if you had to live with this woman for, you know what I'm saying? And how kind I got fired and that, that was completely unjust. And so, you know, it's sort of like I deserve it. The justification. You don't know how lonely I've been. I can't take it anymore. So I boozed it up. So all of your justification, when you come to the end of that and you finally say, Lord, I have sinned. He says, that's right. That's what I was waiting for. Your confession that you gave into your fleshly desires and you committed sin, homilageo. When you finally get to the point where you say the same thing Jesus does about your behavior, then metanoia, you change your path. You repent. You turn around. Right? Do we not, when we drift, when we fall, when we fail, feel like I am a million miles from Jesus? I was so close. I was so tight. And I pulled away a little bit and acted like I was still walking with him. And then I extended the distance by half a block or three days or three weeks or three months or three years. And you've convinced yourself, I'm going to have to walk all the way back <laughs> to get to Jesus because I'm so far from him. And when you do say what he is saying, I'm a sinner actively engaged in sin right now, homilageo, confess, and you turn around, metanoia, uh, repent, go the opposite direction. What you'll discover is Jesus is right there. You don't have to walk back three years. You don't have to go back to a 24-hour chip. Right? He just, he just says, here's your crown. <laughs> that doesn't belong to you, that you didn't earn. That I have given to you through my shed blood. Grace. Here. Christ is right there. There isn't any earning it. There's not any working our way back. Right? There was never any working our way there. We can come into his presence. This man's been lame for all of his life. Christ heals him. And I guarantee you there were times where this guy at least worried about am i gonna lose my ability to walk have i what is going on you ever have your leg fall asleep you know imagine the panic that created right ah, you know we, we you got to put some spiritual application to these things you, you, yeah okay you know what you're gonna fail I'm not encouraging you to, right? It isn't a pass. Well, Pastor Wilson, I'm going to fail, so here I go. You know, That's not how it is at all. But when you have, understand the grace of God. And I'll just be blunt. Cut it out. Turn around. Go the direction you know you should be. Follow him. And you'll, fall. you'll find the great joy is right there. The walking, the leaping, the singing, the shouting can be restored instantaneously. Delivered from the snare, delivered from the trap, delivered from the blackness. Let Christ minister to you. So here is this man. He's immediately healed. He's walking, leaping, praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate 
of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. I've had three people in 20 years that I've been down here from my past without contacting me, just show up at this church. They themselves had been converted, but they just showed up at this church to see, is that really the will cast I knew? Two of them, I was their dealer. And they're going, can't be. And, and it strengthened their walk to come in here and realize that if the Lord can work in my life, the Lord can work in their life. What do you think this did to this crowd? This man has been healed. 40 weeks of walk by that guy every day. I put arms in there almost every day or once a week. I cared for that. This is great. Here he is healed. This is nuts. They're all being deeply impacted by what has happened here, especially when it starts to come out of how this transpired what it was that worked in this man's life. All the people saw him walking and praising God, then they knew that it was he who had sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed on, on held on to Peter and John, and you would think you would, right? Just You're not going to let those guys get away. You're going to cling to the people who have touched your life in this way. So they're, they're, they're holding up Peter John. All the people ran together to them on the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Listen, you guys, this is critically important Christian doctrine that we're about to read. Very, very important. This is like one of the major blocks in our belief system. Okay. It's not how I look at it. This is what the scripture declares about itself right here. And a lot of people chip away at this keystone. A lot of people rip it right out and put other things in place and try to reconfigure this. This is very, very significant. So men of Israel. So Peter saw it. He responded to the people, right? The amazement, the focus, Peter, John clinging. Everybody's amazed. All the people thronging to Peter and John, right? If you're part of, you know, the modern church, this is the moment where you launch the great Peter and John healing evangelistic ministry. They don't do that. Here, they marvel. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power, and notice this, or godliness, we had made this man walk. This is not from us. We are not special. We are not powerful. You've seen the false teachers on television that act like it is their power, right? In the name of God, you know, and they get all weird about uh, that exaggeration I've shared with you recently. I'm going to do it again. Uh, came from the early days of radio when they were broadcasting to crystal radio sets and it was very difficult to hear. So they taught the ministers who were going to be on radio to enunciate everything so that when you listened on the crystal radio set, you could hear it. 
Go back and listen online. Type in Crystal Radio Broadcast and listen to how it swells and rolls and how garbled it is. And at times you can't hear a word that's being said. They had to teach the men who and women who were doing commercials and who were preaching how to enunciate. So then all of the next generation that grew up listening to those preachers are talking like that from the pulpit as though if you're powerful, that's how you talk. Strange the things that affect Christianity in the way that we follow certain movements. Lame, really. So why, why do you think it's us? Why do you think it's our power? Or And it's so interesting to me. Or our godliness. I, I would encourage you to make note right there of James chapter 5, verse 17. Where James tells us, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Hear it again. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Okay, now, if you're sitting there right now, you don't have to shout anything out or raise your hand, and you just look inside your sick black heart, at who you really are. And you read that Elijah, one of the most powerful prophets recorded in the scripture, was a man like you. You can be left thinking, well, no. I mean, maybe maybe like some other people, but definitely not like me. Not a failure like me. Not someone who has risen and fallen and risen and fallen and risen and fallen and risen and fallen and risen and fallen. You know what I'm saying? And then no, I mean not not Elijah. Elijah, you know, probably, you know, had a, a slight glow about him all the time. You know, probably didn't even really have to walk. He just sort of hovered everywhere he went, and you know, people that even thought things bad about him he probably just looked at them and they turned to ash right there no he he was a man like you and i no right massive powerful ministry no rain three and a half years prophetic signs from god great confrontation of pagan leaders and then he gets a letter from a girl and he runs away and he hides in a cave because she said, I hate you and I'm going to kill you. And, and he, is, he is in massive depression, according to the scripture. Massive depression. God comes to him in spirit and says, what are you doing here? Okay, now here's what's interesting, you guys. As he has all kinds of things to say about letters and threats and circumstances and, you know, sinful condition of the nation. But the truth is, what are you doing here? Nothing. What, what are you, what are you, what, why are you hiding in your bedroom? What are, what are you doing here? I'm doing nothing. I'm not doing anything. I'm just, I'm hiding, right? 
not not the voice isn't in the whirlwind it isn't in the storm it is it's what the still small voice the still small voice is where you're going to hear Christ where are you going to hear that when you finally open the book back up right the one that you were reading so adamantly and now you've relegated into artifacts <laughs> you know what I'm saying that you think several times a day I should get that out and just read but somehow, 50 million things become more significant than just opening the book. Just open it back up and start reading. Right? How many times have you done that and you open it back up and you just can't even believe the one verse you happened upon? Right? It confronts you, it restores you, and it encourages you. Why? Because if you just read any verse, it would have probably done that. Why? Because it's, it's living and it's active and it wants a function in your life. Get in the Word. Stay in the Word. Get back to the Word. You know, he's a man of like passion. Why are you looking at us like we're powerful or that this happened because we're godly? This isn't us. We're ordinary people, right? So if compare Elijah that I just stuck out there for you with Peter, right? I will die. If everybody else runs away, I will die at your side. And I mean, unless a little girl asks me if I'm one of your followers, in which case I will pronounce violent curses upon myself and renounce Jesus. May God Strike me dead if I know the man, <laughs> you know, is something along the lines of what he said. We, we are weak. We are weak. And it is his grace. right? And that's, and that's why all of these fakes that stand up and preach and act like if you were just as strong as me, if you were just as godly as me, then we would be doing so much for the Lord. Yeah, well, um, give us permission to just spy on your every waking moment for a few weeks. Let's just listen to your phone calls and review your web searches and look at who you really are as a human being. Because you are a sinner just like everybody else. And yes, again, that's not permission to go behave that way. Christ is calling us into maturity. He's telling us to depart from sin. He's telling us to not pursue the appetites of the flesh, to crucify ourselves daily. Right. Maturity, growth, progress are all things Christ is pushing us toward, drawing us into. But my, how our enemy uses our defeats. Do you have the gospel in your heart and in your mind? And you see that person that needs to hear it? And are you crippled like this man thinking, well, I could say something, but I'm such a hypocrite. Guess what? We're all hypocrites because we're all sinners. We are saved by grace. We need to depart. We need to leave. We need to feel the strength of Christ. Pull us up out of the depth of where we are. And we need to walk in the way that Christ has called us to. But Peter gives that clarification of, this is not my power. This is not our power. This is not our godliness that did this. 
We're following the one true power. We're following the one true godliness by grace. And he did this work. This is not, that's when you'll be very used by the Lord. When you will open your mouth, when you will speak, when you will walk in that truth. Be delivered from the sinfulness. Be delivered from the things Christ is calling to you. But your sinful nature is something you're going to always have to contend with the rest of your life. Just a little bit more. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. Now, the people he's talking to, the way this is written in the Greek language, it seems very literally that he's talking to people who were in the crowd. That when he points the finger out, he's literally looking at the individual who was present. You were present when Christ was betrayed. You called for his crucifixion. And it's going to get more pointed, right? Because the religious leaders show up and Peter turns that finger on them. You're the ones who did these wicked things. So, you know, let the finger fall on you, right? Where it's appropriate. Let Christ convict you, not condemn you, convict you. Whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. Notice this. When he was determined to let him go. Pilate was a loser, right? That whole washing the hands thing, that was lame. That, that was such a cop-out. But he had attempted to say this man is innocent. Even the scourging was an attempt, according to Matthew, that Jesus would be punished and set free. Pilate was hoping that their bloodlust would be satisfied. There, Jesus has been mercilessly beaten. Now we can let him go. And they scream all the more for crucifixion. Pilate's trying to get Jesus out the back door, and they would not let him do it. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted. So don't be amazed the next time you're reading the newspaper and you see some godly leader kicked out of his position and then they put some leftist, Marxist, murderous loser in his place. This is the way of humanity. You got the Prince of Life, life, Jesus himself, right here. And they go, no, we don't want that. What do you want? We would like the murderous insurrectionist who's caused us a lot of problems here in our Jewish society. Bring him out. Set him free. The thief who stole from us. We'd like him. How ridiculous. You denied the Holy One, the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Hey, and let's be clear, right? His appearing to believers continued through 40 days of his ministry on earth after his resurrection. And we have recorded in the scripture that repeatedly many groups of believers were seeing Jesus, even to the point in 1 Corinthians, it tells us that 500 of them saw him at one time. There are Roman senators who were never believers that insisted they had seen the resurrected Jesus. That's not contained in the scripture, but it's contained in Roman history. Flavius Josephus said that he didn't even think it was lawful for him to refer to Jesus as a man based upon his resurrection, that he was somehow divinity. He was somehow God. 
So, you know, they were witnesses of his resurrection. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. I'll leave off there with one supporting verse. When we get over into chapter 4 and we get to verse 7, they're going to be asking them, by what power and by what name was this man made well? And they're asking that because Deuteronomy chapter 18 says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, that involves a tremendous amount of the word of faith movement and televangelists all over the world. They say things, thus saith the Lord, and then the garbage that comes after their, out of their mouth after that is completely false. So there's a great number of them that fall into this. So anyone who speaks presumptuously in the name of the Lord or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Okay, so this is not only why the question is being raised, but it's also why Peter is making such an adamant point about in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man has been made well. Why? Because Jesus' name is Yahweh, God the Father, is salvation, Yeshua. So he's not preaching in any other name, and he's not preaching salvation by any other name. And that's going to become the core of their message. That it's through the name of Jesus that this man has experienced his salvation. And, and what do we know, New Testament Christians, right? That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And there is salvation in no other name. You, know, you listen to the people of the world and they want to act like, oh, well, we've, we've got our God and we've got our plan and we've got our religion and we've got our belief system. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. <clears throat> they say, well, that's very presumptuous of you. Well, it's really not. Because I'm, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. If it's presumptuous, you're going to have to take it up with Jesus. You'll see him soon enough. You'll be in his presence. Much, much better now. Right to bow, and as the scripture says, to kiss the son, S-O-N, to, to be in submission. Right, That rock, which is Jesus, throw yourself upon it and be broken. M much better than to resist and rebel until that rock falls upon you and grinds you to powder. This is what we're witnessing here, is the continued ministry. I pointed out, in the beginning of Acts, that when Luke started writing this, he says, these are the things which Jesus began to do and to teach. Began. So at the end of his ministry, right? These are the things he began to do. And guess what? There's a room full of lame people who have been raised up by Christ. And Christ is continuing to do his work in your life and in my life. That hasn't ever ended. And we need to be Peter and John out in public, seeing that eye contact, grabbing a hold of people 
and yanking them to their feet that Christ would rule and reign in their life. Amen? Amen. So we'll pick up there next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. We're always a little bit longer on Communion Sunday. Spend that time in communion. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace. We pray that you would continue and work in our hearts. Help us to be men and women who, though we have like passions, we would see them being subdued by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us those opportunities. Open our eyes to those opportunities, those people who are longing for the touch and the healing of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.